Consider this, 100% of owners will leave their business one day, but few are prepared. Are you? Don't worry, you're in the right place with this podcast, Succession Stories. Host Lori Barkman, the business transition Sherpa, guides you from transition to transaction, from building value in your business to letting go. Lori is a business transition and M&A advisor, specializing in growth, acquisitions, and selling owner-led companies. She's also the author of the Business Transition Handbook. Get your copy and learn how to avoid succession pitfalls and create valuable exit options. Sign up for a business transition newsletter at successionstories.com. Show us the love by subscribing to the show and posting a review. We appreciate you. Now, here's this week's Succession Stories with Lori Barkman. Welcome back to the Succession Stories podcast. If you're not already, please give me a follow on LinkedIn and Instagram at Lori Barkman. Be sure to subscribe. And if you enjoy the show, leave us a review. Go to ratethispodcast.com slash succession stories. Entrepreneurial burnout happens more often than you may realize. According to a Gallup study, 75% of entrepreneurs report occasional or frequent burnout. To dive into this topic, we spoke with Cesar Quintero, a serial hospitality entrepreneur. At age 24, Cesar moved to Miami given the economic turmoil in Venezuela to pursue his dream of starting a business and helping others achieve a healthier lifestyle by founding fit to go the first corporate healthy meal delivery service in Miami. Nearly 10 years later, he launched two new companies, Raw Bar to Go, the first licensed food boats in Florida, and The Profit Recipe, a coaching firm empowering entrepreneurs to work on the business and not just in the business by implementing best practices and the entrepreneurial operating system, EOS. With nearly 50 employees at their peak and three and a half million in revenue, Caesar was close to burning out. He resented the business because of the lack of time freedom that he felt. Listen in as Caesar describes his personal journey of rediscovering the passion for his business. Hear how he bounced back by implementing transformative systems and processes, the open book approach to sharing financials with his team, and eventually selling the business to a team member. Enjoy this Succession Stories episode on how to avoid entrepreneur burnout with Cesar Quintero. Cesar, welcome to Succession Stories. I'm excited to hear your story as an entrepreneur. Thank you, Lori. Thanks for having me. Let's start with you. Tell me how you got started being an entrepreneur. I think I've been an entrepreneur most of my life. When I was young, you know, different things I did here and there. But officially, I started my first business when I was 24. I got married, moved to a new country, and started a business all at the same time. Because, you know, that's what we do when we're 24. There's no <laughs> risk at that age, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, Where I didn't were you know moving what I didn't from? Where, what, what country was it? Yeah, so I, was, I lived in Venezuela and South America most of my life. You know, the, the country was going down and, you know, the economics and politics and all that. So... That's when I, at 24, I decided, you know what? There's no real future here. I was coming from the PNG world and the corporate world and all of that. And everybody thought I was like a corporate dude. And, you know, then I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to move to US and just figure it out. And when I moved here, I saw a huge gap in a lot of people in the office areas. They wanted to eat healthy. And I'm like, okay, great. So instead of doing a cafe, I wanted to do like a, like a centralized kitchen where we cooked and delivered meals to people in their office. 
and delivery healthy. All of this was very new back in 2004. So this is pre-Facebook, pre-Uber Eats, pre-all of that. Pre-Google Maps even. I had a logistics company pre-Google Maps. Imagine how that was. Yeah, that must have been. (laughs) But I I basically went door to door and convinced people it was convenient to have your meal delivered kind of thing. So, you know, I kind of was at the head of of a wave that came in. So I was first in market in Miami. So that was good. You know, healthy, convenient, Miami. It made sense. <laughs> so you were selling boxed lunches? Yeah. So we cooked and we cooked and delivered freshly made meals every day to, to people who wanted to eat healthy in their in their office. Yeah. So you would deliver to their office? Yeah, to their office. To the entry point, or did you actually get to their desk? Usually receptions and okay. you know, places where, where it was easier. Some people even made us go to their company fridge and stock it. Yeah. So like we would do different things, but yeah, different different people had different things. It it was tough. You know, it's food, which is low margin, and logistics, which is tough. So, you know, I started a business in a country I didn't know, in an industry I didn't know. I'm a logistics engineer by trade. I'm like, oh, this is a great solution. It creates convenience. But at the same time, I didn't know what industry I was getting into and, and all those mishaps, you know? What was the business then? You had a kitchen and then you hired you hired people to assemble the food. Yeah. And then you said you were doing the sales. You were the one knocking on the door. We were. And so when we started, I had a chef and I, that, that's how we started. Uh, the chef came up with a menu and the nutritional information. And she had like a prep cook and we would do the, the meals from scratch. And then I would go out and, you know, I would go door to by door, giving out samples, showing how easy and, and fun it would be to have your meal delivered. And then once I got an area, corporate area full of, of clients, and I would hire a delivery person, they would do that. And then I would go to the next area, right? So I went like corporate area by corporate area and just started growing that way. And then little by little, the, you know, the, the wave started growing and, and the brand grew and, and the industry also grew. Like people were looking for more convenient and healthy things. So I think I, I rode that wave of growth I thought it was me, but it was mostly the market just growing and, and the awareness growing. So that was good. Yeah. And Miami's a big market. How did you segment? Was it based on people who were kind of glued to their desks, like financial services or? You know, That's funny. That- you know, when, when I started, my ego wanted it to be a healthy gourmet. All my CEOs and VPs would want to love and enjoy this meal. And then also it was a cultural difference too, right? I come from Latin America where lunch is your main meal. Where here in US, like you're in, you know, it's, I don't, I'm not going to pay for more than five bucks and need an apple in my desk kind of thing. So I had to like really understand the market. I didn't understand the market back in the day. So we had to shift into the people who are glued to their desk, right? So it was the admin, the banker, the teacher, the, the receptionist, the people who could not leave their desk or only had a half hour lunch. And now they had to find a healthy alternative, which was Wendy's or McDonald's down the street, right? So that that became our real market. So when we understood that, we adapted our menu a little bit, and then we 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 went that down that route. How about digital marketing or acquisition of customers online? It was only face to face, or back in the day, there was no there was no Facebook at that point. There was nothing, right? So we I, I remember being in Procter and Gamma. We were talking about how do we create more word of word? How do we create this virality and influence marketing? Thankfully, with the growth of Facebook and the growth of digital marketing, that helped us a lot. We were actually the first Groupon in Miami. 
Really? You know, I was I was finding new ways of of expansion and new ways of having people. We were we were educating a new market, so we had to like really find people to try us out, and then they would convert to the the model. So we were actually the first Groupon. Groupon helped us a ton back in the day where there was only one day, one one deal a day. So you know, it, it kind of grew with that. With time, we you know the market became a little saturated. A lot of consolidation. A lot of things were going on. What I realized was, you know, the more the more I grew, the more logistics got complexity, and I was running like a chicken without a head, right? So I was delivering the meals, I was answering the phones. If somebody missed in the kitchen, I had to go in and and go into the kitchen. We grew to a point where we were delivering fifteen hundred meals in three hours. We had forty seven employees, and it was just a it was a lot of logistics and a lot of you know food waste delivery. People answering, you know, so so at least that that, that that was a tough part of the business for sure. So you never had a vacation. years. Yeah, grueling. Wow. Yeah. How big did the business get? You said almost 50 people? Yeah, we had around uh, around 50 employees at our, our peak. We were uh, three and a half million in revenue. There was a moment in time where, and I think this is where the whole transition was happening in my mind, where... I was burning out and I was resenting the business. I didn't have the time I wanted. I saw my friends, you know, growing in their corporate ladders and making all this money. And I'm like, and I'm here in this food business with 5% margins that don't work (laughs) and logistics and tough and and then trying to break a market that doesn't exist and all these things. And I realized little by little that that I wasn't in the market that I needed to be. And I wasn't in the industry that I, I really wanted to be. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to turn this into a more lifestyle business. I don't want to keep growing. I don't want to, you know, of course, the natural expansion is let's go to Orlando, let's go to Tampa, let's go to let's get franchise route, let's do all these things. And that's the route I wanted to go. My ego wanted to go that route. My heart was saying, your heart's not in this. Why why are you what you don't need to expand. You're you're good enough being here. So, you know, that's where I, I read the book Traction, started implementing different tools and different things in my in my business, understanding my purpose and my values and bringing all those things in and really what I wanted to be in the world. And I said, you know what? I don't need to expand. You know, I developed a software that helps restaurants deliver. Let me start marketing that and selling that. So I was like, let me do that on the side. So after implementing all these tools and, and creating a leadership team, then, you know, I had Uber before Uber. And then when Uber and Seamless and all these started coming out, I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this again. Like, I'm not going to compete with all these big funded companies and software. So I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So we decided to stay in our area, not expand, create more of a lifestyle business. And I decided to keep it at the size it was with the team we had. We had a good leadership team and be more creative internally, Right. So what we spun out was the first food boat in Florida. So food you know, boat. The, yeah. So so the the healthy meal delivery service was called Fit to Go. We started Raw Bar to Go, which was a food boats. So we had the first licensed food boats. We had a full on kitchen in a boat, and then in in Miami you have like three or four different sandbars people gather in. So we would have like fresh ceviche and shrimp cocktail and drinks and different things that was there. So we would produce everything in our same kitchen. Right. And then we would we would have this in the weekend. So during the week, we were doing the corporate deliveries. And then during the weekends, we had this other company that was more on the, you know, parties and service and catering style thing. So we decided to grow that way. 
and not grow in geography because logistics was just running us insane. So Caesar, let me ask you, you said that you were starting to resent the business. Once you decided you read traction, you were looking more inwards and being clear with your purpose and your mission, and you decided to scale back, you launched this weekend business raw bar to go. Did you start to resent the business less? Did you did you reinvigorate your excitement about it or did that linger? It lingered a little bit. I think it, I think it was an industry trend. The the market started becoming saturated. There was a lot of more competitors coming up. There was a lot of different things happening. Like at one point we were the first in market. We were known by healthy meal delivery, but then little by little Uber Eats came out and Grubhub and all these things and then the mom that was cooking from her kitchen, we were competing with like all these people that were just creating all these things. So it became a saturated market where you started seeing more consolidation. And that's where I'm like, I don't think I'm in the right market anymore. I don't think this is a growth market. So I was a little resentful. But one of the things that implementing all these systems and processes into the company, what it allowed me to do was, number one, it created more valuation for the company. So when we were at 5% in profit, which is the average for a restaurant, average for food industry, we got to 12% average per year by just creating better efficiencies, better communication, better team structure. And that, of course, started now, now when consolidation started happening, people started approaching us. What happened was, you know, that when they started approaching us, we were profitable. Most of our competitors were not. Most of our competitors were, they were getting them on the pennies because pennies on the dollar because they didn't have the right management structure. They didn't have efficiencies. They didn't have these things. So when they were piling up all these companies and putting them together, then they would bring their efficiencies. With us, we were probably more efficient than them. So there wasn't that, you know, every time I got approached to be bought, like it wasn't the right choice for me because I'm like, you're not offering me my true value. So that, that's where I kind of got stuck many of the times that, that, that people were approaching us to acquire us. This episode is sponsored by the best-selling book, The Business Transition Handbook, How to Avoid Succession Pitfalls and Create Valuable Exit Options. Business owners will learn how to navigate the emotional and practical nature of the transition process to avoid exit regrets. It's crucial to start planning when time is on your side so you don't leave money or your happiness on the table. Reading this book, you'll have Lori Barkman, the business transition Sherpa, guiding you along the way. To download a free copy, head to thebusinesstransitionhandbook.com. That's thebusinesstransitionhandbook.com today. Let's go back to the process efficiencies. What did you do specifically? I implemented two main things. I implemented EOS, which is the Entrepreneurial Operating System. It's, it's one of the things I love doing now for other companies. Um, that really triggered a lot because that helped me decentralize myself as the owner. I think EOS helped me create a management structure and an accountability structure that didn't depend on me anymore. So I think it helped, you know, and, and then when people were coming to me to buy me, like they didn't need me in the business. Like I, I manage my business one day a week basically. So what it gave me was time. It gave me more time back. It, and I use the OS for that. There's companies that use it for scale. There's companies that use it for expansion or succession. For me, it was more about, I need to regain my time back. I, this is not where my heart is. This is not where I want to put my energy in. So I want a system that 
allows me to do other things, but at the same time, keep, keep a clear accountability and system that in check. The other thing I did was I followed a, a book called great game of business. Um, that puts a lot of the uh, financial literacy into the employees. Um, I worked with a lot of blue collar people, so they didn't understand profits. They didn't understand waste. They didn't understand all these things. And one of the first questions that this book makes you ask them is, how much do you think we make for every meal we sell, right? And they would say, like, we would sell our meals at that time, I don't know, eight, $10. And they would say, like, oh, you make $7 in your pocket. I'm like, oh, my God. We're making 50 cents on every meal we make. And they're like, no way. And then I, I can show them, right? I can show them for every meal. It takes $3 in, in food costs. It takes $2 in, in, in people. It takes $1 in delivery. It takes the, you know, so you can map it out. And it, it, it brought a lot of financial knowledge to our team that now they started owning the financial decisions within our team. This will play a big part when I sold because the, opening the books up to the team, teaching them finances and sharing with them how their job influenced our profitability and having bonuses and profit sharing with them also rallied them up together. So it was a combination of setting a system and an operating system that helped us be more efficient. And at the other side, it was creating an education platform that let them know what their impact was in the financials of the business. So both of us, most of those helped us go from 5% to 12% net in an industry that, you know, you usually see five to 6%. That's impressive. That's very strong. Very strong. You got approached by different buyers. Yes. When they knocked on your door and they said, hey, we're interested in you. What was that like? Did you have the conversations? I did. I did. I was, <laughs> I was very willing to sell, <laughs> right? I, I did not, I, I, I did not love what I was doing. I knew I knew I could do other things, but I was just right now, it was my baby. I, like I couldn't let it go. Um, I think there were two things that happened when people approached me. Number one was my ego is my company's valued more than they think. Right. And I think you can see this all the time in your line of work, right? Like, yeah. no, I, I, I can't let this business go if it's not under the, you know, the, the, my, like this business is worth so much more than what they think. And then the, the second thing was, that usually I, I was trying to find more of a strategic buyer because they would be willing to pay more than if they were just going by multiples. So the people that were coming in were really acquiring companies that were failing. Most of the companies were bankrupt. Most of the companies were not doing performing well. So they were in a hurry to sell. So they were getting them at pennies at the dollar and they wanted to acquire me at the pennies at the dollar. Not even my real valuation. They were like really just going like, well, if you if you don't like it, you don't want to do it, just come we're acquiring three different companies in your in your neighborhoods and you know we we're going to compete with you and I'm like it's fine like I I'm not I'm not going to hurt so I, I think it was both those things like not only my ego but also I wasn't getting the true value of the company but you did eventually sell tell me about that I did I did and and it's a very funny story because it's very tied to to these things it's I eventually sold it to my employees so I sold to my chef and my operations uh, manager. So uh, the sell happened in two parts. Uh, the first part was more to my chef. Um, since I opened my, my books and I, everybody saw the numbers and everybody saw where we were going, we all had profit sharing. My chef, I didn't know, came from a, money, a, a family with money. And 
he was looking for his next thing. He came and 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 accepted this job because he loved our culture. He loved what we were doing. Um, it gave him the Monday to Friday job that most chefs don't get. Um, and then he's like, you know what? This this is right in line. And Caesar, you're never here. You never like right. They were they were. He was coming up with amazing ideas that then became the standard, which was how do we prepare a ghost kitchen? How do we do more things than just what we do? How do we do products and sell like keto cookies? And, you know, we were healthy, right? So keto cookies and collagen shakes and all these things. And I'm like, I don't have the energy to come up with these things. I don't want to, right? I wanted a lifestyle business. I didn't want to, I didn't want to create more stuff. And then he brought his energy. He said like, I do. So why don't we position the company in a way where I'll buy half of your company and I'll be the operating partner. And that way you'll be, you know, kind of like the visionary partner on helping me and helping me with the knowledge that you've been in the industry for 13 years. And then I became more of a silent partner or more of an investment partner there because he kind of bought 50% of my, my equity. And then we became 50, 50 partners. One of the things that I wanted to do here, and I think this is one of your questions is how did that work? When we did the operations, the operating agreement, I wanted to make sure that it was very clear on what were the decisions I had final say in and what were the decisions he had final say in. So what we agreed to is he had all operational and financial uh, decisions internally of the company. And I had all of the long-term financial strategy decisions around the company because he, he also understood that I brought that part and he brought that part. And I think we've been working for two years and we both understood how we worked. We were part of the same leadership team. We saw those things. So we made it very clear from the start, right? If we are going to be 50, 50, cause I didn't want to do 50, right? My ego didn't accept. I, well, that's what I was going to ask about why 50. And the reality was this, the reality is I put my ego in check and I said, I don't have the energy to take this company to the next level. And this person does, right? They were willing to put in, we did an outside valuation. He was pulling, willing to put in the 50% of that and, you know, of the outside valuation. And he was willing. And you know what? I said, it's only fair that he takes that. Even if I've been in this business longer or not, I had to put my ego in check. But, you know, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm doing a deal, I think the compensation, the contract and the control are very different things, right? So Control was, okay, you have control over these things. I have control over these things. The contract re reflected that. And then the compensation reflected different things as well. So we, we kind of structured it in a way that it was, it put my ego in check, but at the same time, it's a win-win. And if he achieved the things that he needed to achieve, he had the ups, upsell, the, the, the um, how do you call it? The, the reward for, for getting us to that next level. Right. So we kind of agreed on a baseline on, on profitability. And then he would get an extra bonus on compensation if we achieve the things that he wanted to achieve. So, so were these two we companies sold separately or together? So we packaged it together. So at the end, we had to package it together because it was too messy. We, we produced the meals in the same kitchen. We had the same staff. We had the same, even though they were two separate companies, uh, we eventually packaged it together as one. And then when we got the valuation, we, we got the full valuation on both companies together. So uh, typically when it's an insider, it's below market, but you must've felt good that this was a good competitive market price for, for the business. Yeah. I think um, what I liked about it was, it was more than what my other people, what the other people were offering because they were offering pennies on the dollar. Uh, the other thing is I was, I was willing to come to a commitment and say, okay, 
whatever we agree a third party to say we're valued, he was willing to put that in and I was willing to t- accept that as a as a 50-50. It took us like six months or almost a year to negotiate the 49-51. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had to put my ego in check for real. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so that's that's how it that's how it worked out at the end. Well, it's all about balance. And because you articulated who's responsible for what you had in your yeah. agreement, typically a challenge with 50-50 is if a decision needs to be made, who's going to be the tiebreaker. Yeah. So normally we would advocate for a 51-49, but worked out for you guys. How long did you end up staying in the business after that transaction? So two short years because uh, COVID came. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Okay. And what happened this, then? this presented a whole different type of sale. Um, so when COVID came, I was already checked out completely because I was not part of the day-to-day of the business. I was not in it at all. And thank God Josh came in and he did the things he wanted to do. Because if we were in corporate delivery in COVID, we would have gone out of business completely. Right. So at least that sale worked because we added new products. We added new uh, fragmented and ghost kitchen abilities. We were representing three different brands. So we were able to leverage that, but that's when, you know, PPP and EIDL and all these things started happening. I'm like, guys, I, I'm already checked out. Like I'm already on to my next thing. I've already started building two other companies. And that's when my ego took a real check. And that's when I said, you know what? Now it's not about buying what I'm worth or what the company's worth or what my 50% is worth. Now it's, allowing this company to succeed and to survive. So at that point, what I realized is that my chef couldn't manage a company by himself. And my operations manager was a key person for him to succeed. So I first offered him the second half, but of course he had just come in two years prior, putting a lot of money into the company. And he's like, I can't put more money in. So the way we addressed this was I, we did an SBA buyout loan with our operations manager and the, and the valuation, to be honest, was just for her to get me out of debt. So anything that had my debt on it, I was willing to let go. And I, I was willing to say, and this was a big ego check and, and reality check moment. And this is in the midst of COVID, right? Where I'm like, I don't have the energy. I don't have the time. I don't have, and the company doesn't have the time for us to go into negotiations to for it to survive. So we made a decision and I made a decision where as long as I was out of all debt, the operations manager became the new 50% partner. And it was a true inspirational story for me. And that's, it's tied to my purpose as well, where I said, you know what? I, I had a good exit the first time and I had a exit that the company deserved and it needed because if I got tied to it, I would have bring it, I would have brought it down because it, it just wouldn't have the cash flow to, to sustain it. So they're still paying me right now. And, and we're, we have a payment plan and it's all an SBA buyout loan. And it took a little longer because of the COVID and all these things. Um, but at the end, it, it worked out really well. And, and the company's still there. It succeeded. Thankfully, it survived COVID era. And and I think now it's thriving because it has two new owners that are really putting a lot of energy into it. Well, that's great. You built something that has a sustainable future because of the new owners and because of their hands-on ability and their ability to adapt, right? There was a lot of changes in that time. 
Yeah, and, and you know, they were both part of the leadership team. We all understood each other. We all understood our strengths and where we needed to be. So the trust was there, which is a lot of times when a buyer comes in, you don't know what you're going to get. So in, in my case, you know, letting go of my baby to people who really managed it for the last five years when I was in it, it's like, it's it's just the right way to go, right? It's it's letting them turn yeah. the baby into a, a in, into a teenager and grown up. So end to end, how many years were you involved with the business? So 2014, the first sale was 2018. The second sale was 2020. So I'm guessing uh, it was 16 years in total. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Let's talk about what you did next and what you're doing now. Yeah. So, so what I learned about, you know, bringing all these systems into my company and bringing, you know, the great game of business, the financial education, the me being vulnerable enough to put my ego in check and do all these things. So I, I started facilitating and helping different companies do what I did with my company. Um, and I started developing a true passion for teaching, a true passion for facilitation, um, and realized I went from blue collar logistics to white collar service, which, you know, for me is heaven, uh, right? Every service company wants to be a product company. Every product company wants to be a service company, right? So, but for me, I'm like, oh my gosh, I love this. Um, so I started implementing EOS, uh, the entrepreneur operating system to different companies uh, in 2016 is when I started. Um, but then now I've, I've, I've helped more than 120 companies implement uh, EOS within their company. And, and I started a firm. So when I officially sold in 2020, I started a firm, um, which we now help different companies from all sizes, from mom and pops to publicly traded companies, uh, improve communication, improve visibility and, and accountability and alignment and vision. So that, that's really what we do as, as in, in the operating system. That's incredible. So you went from doing it yourself to getting this training and certification from EOS. I think they have EOS advisors. Yes. Not just in the US, but all implementers but all over the world, right? It's a global. Yeah, there's more than 650 implementers globally. There's more than 80,000 companies right now that are implementing um, the, the operating system actively right now. Um, so it's become a big, a big place because, you know, it's an operating system that helps you manage better and focus better, right? So it, it helps you gain clarity, transparency, accountability, and communication. So that, that helps any business, right? I know a little bit about your company. I also know a little bit about you. And it didn't shock me when I found out that your evolution of the EOS implementer model, you took it to the next level. How did you do that? What are you doing and why? You know, when when I when I eventually sold fit to go at the end, um I'm like I'm I'm a builder. I can't be a consultant. I'm not a solo person and you know, I'm young enough as well. I started my 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 entrepreneurial journey a little younger. So, um I, I was with a niche of I want to I want to put my my superpowers into practice. I feel that I feel that my first two companies uh or three because the software company was a third were, were just practice rounds. They were, they were, they were a way for me to get my tools, get all the systems in. And, you know, and, and, and I, I got to evolve as a leader, as building teams. I got to evolve as an entrepreneur in different phases. And I, I felt I, I had something else to do. So um, I started this company where now, you know, we're a firm, we're the largest DOS firm in the world where we have eight implementers and we, we're, we have over 200 companies um, that, that have gone through the process and, you know, uh, Actively, we create community on companies that are going through the process. So I've tried to find a way to 
uh, leverage not only the system, but also the sense of community that I love. And that's one of my superpowers. I love creating community. I love um, uh, creating places and spaces where people can connect and learn from experience. So so that's what we did with with a profit recipe here in, in South Florida. So as you think ahead and you think about your legacy, what's your vision? Yeah, my, so that's an interesting point. My, my purpose is to really help people evolve so that they can live the life they want to live. That, so that that's something that a transformation that I went through that I couldn't see until I was I was I was going through the evolution of really understanding what I wanted in life and where I wanted to be. So um, my, my objective is to do a thousand companies at least. Right. So to help a thousand leaders uh, evolve in a way where they can get to their favorite state a lot. You know, a lot, and I see this all the time with business owners, entrepreneurs, uh, corporate leaders that they're stuck in this rat race and they're going through it, but just through the motions and not really understanding what it is they love in life. And why did they fall? Like, I want them to fall in love with their business again. I want them to to fall in love with life again. I don't, I don't want them to have that resentment I had towards my business for so long, um, which took me 10 years to kind of like transition and evolve from that. I, I want, I want that to make it shorter for others, you know? That's a beautiful mission. I like that a lot. All right, here's a mic drop question for you. Given all your experience as a builder and working with companies to help them achieve their goals, what are two things that you want to leave our listeners with to say, you know what? These are must-dos. You know what? I think I think two things that uh, going through my story right now, it, it was a very reflective moment. I haven't talked about my sale uh, in a while and I think, you know, keep your ego in check would be number one. I think especially when you're going through the sale, through the valuation process, through the negotiation process is really understand what is ego and what is facts, what is stories and what is true. Because I feel a lot of us get stuck into that. It's like, I've, I've spent 13 years building this business. That, that, that doesn't matter. That's not, that's not factual. It's just a feeling. It's, so, so for me, keeping your ego in check during the process and during the whole thing. And then number two is, I think information is power. I think um, both EOS and Great Game of Business, it's all about give your employees the information they need. We all need to be rowing on the same direction. We need to be all accountable to something. You're, you're kind of like asking your team members, if you don't share your numbers, if you don't share what's going on in your, in your scope, you're like, trying to tell them to bowl with putting a curtain right in front of the pins, right? It's like, no, 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 take it a little right, take it a little left, or, you know, like, let me let me look behind the curtain. Yeah, yeah, we did okay, we did okay, but I need you to throw it a little stronger. It's like, no, that doesn't work. Like, I, the visibility needs to be there and, and information is power. So I think keep your ego, in, your ego in check and information is power. That's great. Well, maybe that dovetails with my next question, which is, do you have a favorite quote? Whew, my fa- the quote I say all the time, my favorite quote is make it bad, make it better. Like for me, it's all about, I don't know who said this. I, this is one of my mentors would use this all the time. Um, make it bad, make it better. It's just nothing's ever going to be perfect. Just continue doing it, you know, go through it, make it bad and then make it better. And then every time it'll be better and it, it'll get better and better with time. Absolutely. Absolutely. If people want to get in touch with you, Caesar, what's a good way to do that? 
Yeah, so uh, Quintero is my last name, Caesar.com. So it's QuinteroCaesar.com. That's my webpage. And all of my businesses are there. All my contact info is there. And um, so that's 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 the easiest way, I think. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with me. And I'm so glad that it gave you that time to reflect it. We don't often have time to do that. So I'm glad that that's you had the space true. for that today. <laughs> this is a true joy. Thank you, Lori. Oh, thank you. And to our listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, Please hit subscribe wherever you listen to Succession Stories and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tune in next time for more Succession Stories from Transition to Transaction. I hope that today's episode resonated with you. What actions will you take as a result? If you want to grow, sell, or transition your business, our strategic transition planning process provides clarity and objectivity on the big questions that may be weighing on your mind. Make an intention and take the next step. Set up a complimentary consultation with me to discuss your goals at thebusinesstransitionsherpa.com. That's thebusinesstransitionsherpa.com.